This is Legal and Compliance Insights from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. This is the podcast helping you navigate the legal and compliance landscape wherever your business takes you. Hello, I'm Henry Smith, a partner with Control Risks in London. I manage Control Risks due diligence and business intelligence team across the Europe, Middle East and Africa region. Thank you for joining us for this podcast today in which we're joined by Sean Selinger from Ropes and Gray. Sean and I are going to be talking about the continually evolving situation with global sanctions regimes and how investors and corporates can think about managing sanctions risks as they appear in new deals and transactions. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. I'm delighted to be able to introduce Sean Salinger from Robeson Gray. Sean, could you say a few words about yourself for our listeners today? Thank you, Henry. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm Sean Selinger. I'm a counsel in Ropes and Gray's Anti-Corruption and International Risk Group. I'm a U.S. qualified attorney, though I'm based in the London office. My practice focuses extensively on advising investors and other corporations in the transactional context about how to assess, quantify, and mitigate risk associated with corruption, money laundering, sanctions, export control, and and other international risk areas. Thank you, Sean. Today's podcast is focused on sanctions, and particularly how sanctions appear in an M&A ordeal context. To tackle this topic, we're going to present a fictional case study and then summarize some general takeaways for people to consider as they look at new deals. So I'll start by setting the scene with a case study. In this opportunity, Control Risks and Ropes and Gray are advising a US and a European fund, which are acting in a consortium with a US entity taking the majority position. The target of the deal is a business unit that will be carved out of a Germany-headquartered industrial company. The target's business model is quite reliant on agents and distributors. And some of the information that we've seen in the early stages of the transaction shows that there's been recent sales history in Cuba and Iran, which are both exposed to extensive US sanctions regime. We've also seen that there's a joint venture between a target and a Russian oligarch for manufacturing in Russia, and then onward sales to domestic clients in Russia. Russia, again, being a country exposed to several different sanctions regimes. So that's our case study. We're now going to look at some pre-transaction considerations that we think dealmakers would need to consider in this scenario. Sean, could I hand over to you to begin with your considerations and the types of issues that Ropes and Gray would look at? Thank you, Henry. Absolutely. So I think looking at this transaction at the outset, I would consider risks in four different buckets or categories. And the first one would be the programmatic bucket. And I would ask, has this target, has this company identified sanctions as a risk area to which it is exposed? And assuming that the target has identified sanctions as a risk, which specific sanctions regimes has the company considered in the past when designing its programmatic compliance approach? 
and specifically, given the particular extraterritoriality of the U.S. sanctions regime administered by OFAC, to what extent has the company considered both primary and U.S. secondary sanctions when designing their compliance program? I would then look at what policies, procedures, and supporting systems, such as sanction and screening software, the company has put in place and then look at what type of compliance support and government structure the company has to assess and manage sanctions risks. And then consider, and, and looking here towards some of the guidance that OFAC has put out in terms of its expectations, what monitoring and audit programs the company has in place with respect to sanctions risk. And then lastly, from a programmatic perspective, I would also consider to what extent any sanctions compliance program that is in place applies to the joint venture in Russia that covers the Russian business. The second bucket that I would look at is analyzing the legal risk under primary sanctions regimes. So I think principally here we would be looking at U.S. and EU sanctions regimes to analyze. The EU analysis is often more straightforward from a legal perspective. Given, however, that we have a U.S. buyout fund that post-closing will take the majority equity in this company, we would be looking at the U.S. issues in particular from both a historical perspective as well as a post-closing perspective. So historically, since we're talking about a, a German company that would not naturally be subject to primary U.S. sanctions jurisdiction, what we would be looking to assess is what historical touch points, what nexus has the company had historically to the United States? And I think the four principal questions there would be, you know, transactions that are conducted in U.S. dollars, the involvement of U.S. persons, so U.S. citizens, U.S. residents, or others who are within the territorial confines of the United States, or perhaps the involvement of, of any U.S. subsidiaries. The involvement of any U.S. origin content in exports that could be implicated under the U.S. sanctions regime, and then also facilitation by U.S. persons, U.S. subsidiaries, and so on of potential transactions that, that would pose sanctions risk. Thinking about it from a primary jurisdiction perspective post-closing, we would first and foremost focus on Iran and Cuba. And that is because once the transaction closes, given the majority U.S. ownership, the German company would be directly subject to OFAC jurisdiction with respect to the U.S. sanctions on Iran and Cuba, regardless of any other U.S. nexus. So some of the things that we would be looking at, both from a legal perspective, but also a commercial perspective, would be, has the historical business in Iran and Cuba be commercially material? Because in most cases where we have transactions such as these, the outcome is the winding down of all or nearly all of business dealings in Iran or Cuba pre-closing. And even if the revenue was not commercially material, the next question we would ask would be, would shutting down or winding down that Iran and Cuba business, even if it's not material, affect business in other countries and broader commercial relationships? Where we've seen some issues with companies before is making an assumption that because you know, Iran is, you know, 0.2% of global revenue and Cuba 0.1% of revenue that, you know, commercially that's immaterial. The business can be wound down and it doesn't over, you know, affect the overall dynamics of the deal and the commercial imperatives for the deal. 
But in certain situations, by by ceasing to do business in those countries, the company could jeopardize global contracts that that could collectively you know impose more material revenue loss for the company going forward. We would obviously look for any general licenses or specific licenses that are in place or that could be relied upon to continue some of that business post-closing. And then in considering a potential wind down of any Iran or Cuba business, we would be looking at you know ongoing sales contracts, ongoing service year warranty obligations, and even the amount of accounts receivable and whether that is commercially material. And, and consider how all of those things would play into a potential condition precedent to close to wind, wind Iranian and Cuba business down. The third bucket that I would consider is our secondary sanctions issues. And, you know, first, looking at where the company does business, we would identify where it has direct or indirect business and companies that are subject to secondary sanctions programs administered by OFAC. And then we would look to identify whether those secondary sanctions have been implicated based on you know, existing programmatic efforts and also what we know about who the company is doing business with, the type of products they're selling, and the type of industries that they're supporting, and then seek to collect the relevant information to bottom out that analysis ourselves. And the fourth bucket that we would look at is, have there been any specific historical sanctions issues that have been identified, reviewed, or otherwise disclosed by the company historically? Thank you, Sean. So the role that control risk would play alongside what Sean has just outlined um, breaks down as follows. We would typically in this scenario have few concerns about the immediate targets, ownership and control, because it's ultimately headquartered in Germany, which is a low sanctions risk jurisdiction. So when we would be scoping a diligence exercise around a transaction like this, we would be looking in the early stages at trying to establish a geographical footprint of a company's sales and operations to see if it exposes our buyer to sanctions risks. Secondly, we might run some quick searches to see variation of a target's name and whether there is any reporting anywhere in the world that suggests allegations or investigations linked to sanctions or in association with sanctioned countries. And then we would consult with Sean and his team and our client about what we had found and what they had found, often building on the legal risk assessment that Sean has just described to agree what our scope would look like. And that's when our more meaningful diligence would really kick in. And in this case, as Sean's described, we would be looking primarily at Cuba and Iran. And there we would be seeking to establish the extent to which those sales that we've heard about are recent and whether there's an ongoing in-market presence or sales activity. And there's various ways that we would seek to establish this through local language searches, reviews of corporate registry databases to see if there are dormant or active locally incorporated subsidiaries or branches of our target. And if necessary, we would also speak to sources that would have a viewpoint over whether our target was still conducting business in this country. And that could be done talking to competitors, representatives of industry bodies, journalists that might cover that industry in those countries, and people perhaps working in customs or trade-related roles. Now, there's a word of caution that always needs to be made when we're talking about doing this type of work 
in sanctioned countries, particularly on behalf of US clients. And we always work through that quite carefully with counsel and our client before undertaking any work to ensure everyone's comfortable with the legal parameters of the research. The other major jurisdictional focus would be Russia. And in this case, we're clear there's an in-country presence with the manufacturing joint venture and those sales activities that we described at the outset. And so the key issues that we would try to test here using very similar methods to what I just described was firstly understanding the profile and status of a Russian joint venture partner and the extent to which they're sanctioned now or likely to be in the future. Secondly, identifying and understanding the sanctions or broader risk profile of a joint venture's Russian clients. And finally, the extent to which the operations or sales practices touch on Crimea, given it's subject to a different and more extensive sanctions regime than the rest of Russia. Iran, Cuba, and Russia were the main jurisdictional focuses of our sanctions diligence here. But we can also consider other markets. And in cases such as this, where we know that the target has manufacturing or significant distribution or sales operations in markets that aren't themselves sanctioned, that are adjacent to a sanctioned country, and indeed have lots of bilateral trade with sanctioned countries, then we can also look at what's happening in those countries. So you see this very commonly, for example, with business operations in Turkey and Pakistan, which have strong and established trade relationships with Iran. Finally, we would try to also look into the corporate culture of the target. And we can do that by approaching particular sources that have advantage over how an organization is run. For example, we can seek to talk to former employees, people who work for competitors of the target, look at people in industry bodies and lobby groups, and also people that have had different types of commercial relationship with the target to see if they have a view of relative maturity of a company vis-a-vis other organizations in the sector or indeed specific examples of where employees have or haven't been comfortable raising concerns about compliance issues. And I think that brings us to the end of the pre-transaction commentary. So Sean, I think we're moving into the post-transaction considerations now. Absolutely. So, you know, I think we would assume here that the transaction is able to be completed. And just thinking about some of the transactions that we've worked on, I'll, I'll present some hypothetical areas where we were able to get comfortable with the sanctions risk to for the investment to move forward, but also flag potential areas of risk for potential follow-up work by the investor and the company in the post-closing period. So I think one of the principal areas that we would have gotten comfortable here is that the Iran and Cuba business could have been wound down easily without outstanding obligations in terms of servicing or warranty or other contractual obligations and that that would not pose a material business impact either independently or based on the impact on any more global relationships and, and, and contracts. Another area where we would have gotten comfortable was that the company had a decent sanctions compliance program in place with a good policy and procedure, a strong governance structure and oversight of sanctions compliance, and restricted party screening that was integrated into the company's ERP system. We didn't identify any historical issues and were also able to obtain strong representations that were backed up by a sizable warranties indemnity insurance policy. Additionally, we were able to take comfort that the investors would be in a controlling position post-closing and therefore would be able to 
drive change and drive improvement on some of the areas of risk that we identified. And some of those areas of risk are the fact that the company, as is often the case with non-U.S. companies, has had not fully considered the you know, extent of potential U.S. secondary sanctions risk. In this case, we would have become comfortable given that the products and activities were considered to generally be low risk. But going forward, the process found that the company should go through a more fulsome secondary sanctions risk analysis to further mitigate that risk going forward. Another area of risk that was identified, and this is something we see in a lot of companies, was the lack of programmatic application to the Russian business. The fact that the potential practical impact of the Russian blocking laws which prevent compliance with foreign sanctions within Russia hadn't been considered. Though note that all of that was somewhat mitigated by the nature of the business that the company was in, which was otherwise low risk for U.S. and EU sectoral sanctions or the U.S. secondary sanctions. And also another area of risk for risk mitigation going forward, the diligence process found that there were weak contractual protections in place, particularly with respect to onward sales, indirect sales going through agents and distributors, though we noted that the risk was mitigated given the lack of historical U.S. nexus on those types of sales. Important factor given that U.S. jurisdiction confers the greatest degree of strict liability with respect to indirect sales, certainly compared to liability under the European Union regimes. And I think what we would probably see in cases like this is two additional considerations for control risks to support with. The first might be a more detailed forensic review of a Russia business once the investors had control of the target company. So In this exercise, we may well have found that the target had limited oversight of a complicated network of distributors and ultimate clients in Russia. So we could request financial data on specific distributors, ultimately to try and show their sales history and who the ultimate clients were. One of the problems here could be that this would be held by different people and be structured in quite inconsistent ways. So would need an effort in standardization in order to be able to do meaningful analysis with it. Alongside that, we might also conduct interviews and document reviews to understand how these distributors interact with their parent company, or in this case, a target. And based on our findings, we may indeed decide to terminate some client relationships based on their sanctions profile or some other risk criteria that could be very easily applied in a case like this. What this may also show us is that there needs to be improvements to sales processes compliance with our clients overall approach to sanctions, which itself may be subject to an upgrade in the target company. And then there would be an exercise to see if this had been implemented and followed, say, at a six month or a 12 month interval. More broadly, what we see in cases like this is often the management of third parties can leave room for improvement. And so in this case, it may be that the target ultimately seems to have a fairly immature approach to third-party risk management and diligence of those third parties. So after the close of a transaction, there'd be a need by the buyer to look at how to improve the management of third parties at the onboarding stage, but then also how they're monitored and also how remediation activities are pursued. And this needn't be 
restricted just to the countries in which there are sanctions considerations or in countries that are adjacent and have trading relationships with sanctioned countries, but to the broader third party population. Wrapping up, I wanted to just kind of lay out maybe some of the key takeaways from the conversation that Henry and I have had. And the first is that buyers and lenders need to be aligned on their sanctions compliance approach at the outset of, of any transaction to agree as to, you know, what are the potential, you know, sanctions, risk factors and trigger points, what is acceptable and, and what is not acceptable to get the deal done to make sure that that's appropriately diligenced and, and considered as early in the tr- transaction as possible. Second, the initial risk assessment process is, is really critical and it should be aimed at identifying information gaps and, and diligence priorities at the outset to be able to ensure that you're front-loading the most relevant information from a legal and commercial perspective. Third, in a truly global business, it, it's impossible to get complete comfort with respect to historical issues. And there ultimately needs to be a balance between the potential risk versus contractual protections in the SPA or similar deal documentation versus the overall commercial dynamics of the deal. Fourth, due diligence should not solely be focused on the acquisition target. Sanctions risks, as per many financial crimes risks, often appear and and can be focused on third-party relationships, which can be diligenced and assessed throughout the transactional process. And lastly, it's important to ensure that the investment team and the legal team are aligned on the commercial and financial impact of of post-closing sanctions compliance adjustments and improvements to ensure that any potential costs as well as any potential impact on existing revenue or the ability to obtain future revenue is factored in and, and, and modeled as early as possible in the transactional process. Thank you, Sean, for that very helpful summary and more broadly for joining us today for what's been a really interesting discussion about how sanctions appear in deals and transactions. Thank you very much, Henry. It was a it was a great discussion and, and really enjoyed the opportunity to record this podcast with you. If you enjoyed what you heard today on Legal and Compliance Insights, make sure to subscribe and check out our other podcasts as well, like The Global Insight, a fortnightly conversation about the most pressing issues facing businesses around the world. All our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we're helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com.